Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. There is so much international soccer on this summer, Sherry. Are you excited? Ooh, I'm thrilled. Yes. Oh, First the Europeans played, and then the South Americans, and now the U.S. and Mexico and Canada and the rest of the CONCACAF, all the Central American teams. So exciting. So I've got so much recorded that I haven't had a chance to watch yet. I may it's get fabulous. a lot of hate mail, but I will say I enjoy football. Football. Better than American football. You actually don't enjoy either of them very much, and I think it's funny that you're trying to be upbeat about this. This, but for me, this is like this is like if the Westminster Dog Show was on for just day after day <laughs> after day, because I think that's your favorite thing. When is that? Like during the Super Bowl or yeah, or New Year's or something? When is it on? I don't know. It's been COVID's just ruined it for a long. I don't know. Thanksgiving. I think it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yeah. yeah it's a test. But it's usually after like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah. And I'm not like we don't own a dog because they're a lot of work. Yes. But dogs are cute. But if there was a cat show, <laughs> then that would be spectacular. Oh, uh, you'd just I never have, you'd yeah. be glued to the T V forever. A raccoon show. But I I think soccer is pretty interesting because I think it's cool, especially what you're watching and like seeing the fans and some of the culture and stuff from the different like oh, teams, yeah. you can tell their culture, and the fans, you can tell their culture. Well, the the camera people did a fantastic job with the games that were at Wembley Stadium and in London. When England would score, they would have a camera with a real low angle that would show the the players celebrating. But then in the background behind, you could see the drunk English fans celebrating, and they were like, first of all, they were shirtless and probably should have had a shirt on. And then they were like stepping into rows of seats that didn't have any fans in them that were blocked off for COVID and like falling into the the little cloth that was covering the unoccupied <laughs> seats. And oh my God, that, if that's not Tarp a reason to be getting, sober right there, um, I don't know what is. Tarp was getting pummeled, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the reason I brought that up, our son, our oldest boy, our, our daughter is our oldest, but our second oldest, our 17-year-old... He came home, he missed curfew by just a few minutes the other night, and so we weren't pleased, and the conversation wasn't happy, and I, I don't remember how we got onto this, but, you know, he he basically, we, we got into, he, he used the old theory that the best defense is offense, <laughs> and rather than, you know, taking a lot of incoming for the fact that he was late, he turned it on the fact that I am lacking as a father, and one of the ways that I'm lacking as a father is that I work too much. And he talked about how he had earlier that evening watched Italy play at his friend's house, his friend with a very Italian last name, and that he and his friend and some of their other buddies, along with the friend's dad, which is where the very Italian last name emanates from, they had watched it together, and he talked about how the friend's dad was all into it with them and yelling and screaming at the TV and and just excited when they scored and upset when they did bad. And he compared that to how I will sit at the kitchen table with my computer and all my work stuff 
and then have the TV playing soccer in the kitchen, you know, above the refrigerator, kind of as a side note, the, the soccer is on, but really what I'm doing is working and gave me a huge cats in the cradle moment of, you know, uh, all I do is work. And even when I'm there, I'm not really there and just made me feel horrible. But you know what? I think he's right. I think he's right. I, I, I do watch soccer or anything that I'm going to watch, which isn't very much. But on the occasion that I'm going to watch something, I do watch it at the kitchen table while I'm working. And I am no fun, Sherry. I, one of, some of the stuff that has changed in sobriety, I mean, you could make a really good argument that I haven't been fun for a long time and that I wasn't fun even when I was drinking because I was slobbery and, uh, you know, arrogant and too loud and just drunk, just drunk. So none of that was fun either. But so I'm still no fun in sobriety. I'm coming to realize it was, even though it was my son that was late and it started out that he was in trouble, it turned into a real introspective moment for me or not moment, uh, several days, even a week or so of thinking about this. I, I, in sobriety, I am now reliable, which is better than being drunk all the time or drunk a lot of the time. I am predictable. I'm very predictable. I am even safe and approachable. As I think we've discussed, our kids are feeling comfortable. Well, and, and as Nick demonstrated when he came home late and turned the tables on me, uh, they're not afraid to talk to us and tell us what they really think. So those are all good things. Reliable, predictable, safe, and approachable. But I'm still no fun. I'm still no fun. Just like I was no fun in alcoholism. Because I am just stuck on, uh, you know, if there's a if there's a free moment, why am I not thinking about something really profound? Or why am I not working on something? There's got to be something small I can get done. And if it's not work for work, it's work for the house. Why... Gosh, when was the last time I looked at the furnace filter and one of those sprinkler heads might not be aimed quite right. There's always something that I'm trying to accomplish. And if if I get to the point where I've got everything checked off the list, all I got to do is sit and ponder for a second. I can come up with something else that needs to get done or should get done. So it's really, it's a problem. It's a problem. I'm, I'm no fun and I'm not just saying that so that you'll... Say, oh, no, Matt, you're a lot of fun, because I know I'm not. And and it's, you know, our kids are getting older, and it's it's kind of last chance time for me to to stop behaving this way. And and it's, like I said, it's not enough to just be around. Um, I've got to be engaging and engaged. So, Sherry, you and I are just returning from a week of vacation. We visited with my side of the family stayed at my parents' house. They happened to have retired on a lake in South Carolina. So we did some boating and some jet skiing and lots of bouncing around on a tube behind said boat or jet ski. And it was a lot of fun. And I was really determined to work a bare minimum on this trip. Now in the days of technology being what it is and with the work that we do being, so much of it being virtual, or at least computer-driven, we can work from anywhere. So I was really just determined to work as little as possible on this trip. 
and it you know and just have fun and be engaged and be engageable and not just be sitting with my family but being actively present with my family that was a something I wanted to work really hard on this past week and it started when we were at the airport on the way to South Carolina waiting for our our plane to to board we Nick is a junior he's going into his senior year so I shouldn't say he's a junior he's a, he's now a senior going into his senior year so it's his last year of high school and we knew we were going to see you know not just my parents but my sister and her whole family and my and cousins and and then some of my parents friends and they were just going to be people everywhere and as soon as they find out that you're a senior in high school of course uh, you are just the target everyone wants to know what are you going to do next year what are your plans what do you want to study where are you going to go to school have you been applying what are you applying for scholarships how many schools do you think you'll apply for will you go in state will you go out of state what is the plan? No one ever even considers anymore, and this is, I think, a bigger problem in our society, whether or not you'll go to college. It seems like everybody goes to college, um, which is why there are a lot of trade careers, uh, electricians, plumbers, welders, where you can make a crap CDL ton drivers. of money. Yeah, one of <laughs> Thank one goodness of my cousins, you have cousins that's a saving yeah, grace that are adults. She runs a trucking company and is just begging people to drive, drive yeah, trucks and so make good money doing so. He got a break from having that conversation with them. Yes, that was nice. <laughs> but so in the airport, preparing for Nick to get a million questions about what are you going to do after your senior year, we started coming up with some lines that he could just throw out there. And that was so that was my attempt uh even before vacation started while we were getting ready to board the plane to really engage not only with Nick, but we got all the kids involved. Hey, let's let's think of some things you can say when family and friends are asking you what you're going to do after college. So we told him, you know, Nick, you've got the easy one. You can just say you're going to go to the University of Colorado in Boulder and study engineering. Everyone knows Nick likes math and he like, he's taken high school engineering classes that he really enjoys. And University of Colorado in Boulder is the obvious choice for anyone who lives in Denver, or one of the obvious choices for anyone who lives in Denver. So we said, Nick, you can say you're going to go to CU Boulder and study engineering, and it'll just be off the hook. You won't have to, you know, have much follow-up there. Anyone who you say that to is going to say, oh, yeah, that's They don't know what logical. questions to ask. Yeah, well, it's logical. It's, just it's logical. It's concise. There's no more questions to be asked. So we said, Nick, you can do that if you want to just get out of that conversation, get in and out quickly. If you'd, if you'd prefer to really be confrontational and have some fun with somebody, you can tell them you're going to take your backpack and stuff it full of beef jerky and Turkish bubble gum and just go as far as the beef jerky and Turkish bubble gum will take you. Turkish bubble gum, as an aside, is, is actually not just a made-up thing. It's a relevant thing because Nick, for some reason, really likes Turkish bubble gum and ordered a bunch of it, and that's what we all got for <laughs> Christmas, and it is awful it's not even flavorful i think we were being poisoned but he really enjoys it so yeah backpack full of beef jerky and turkish bubblegum that's the equivalent i think uh from when you and i were that age of back i'm gonna backpack through europe yes as opposed to going to college yes so nick you can use that one if you want to get some really weird looks and a lot of questions and if you want to get you and I, mom and dad, dragged into the conversation. Are you really going to let Nick have a backpack full of beef jerky and that's it? Uh, or, you know, the one that I told him that I really, it's not only honest because Nick doesn't know what he wants to do after college. 
It's not only after honest high school, right after high school. Pardon me. Right now, he doesn't know. It's not only honest, but it's also kind of fun. I we said, Nick, you can say, I have no idea what I'm going to do after high school, and you asking me follow up questions is not going to bring me any closer to knowing what I'm going to do after high school. Just kind of slam the door on the conversation. So I, that's the one I I would have used. I think if if I had if been you're in, a 48 year old man having the experience in the, you know. The, the confidence in the small confidence. talk situations with my elders. Yes. Which as He's a 17-year-old, you don't have. Yes. So he did. I, we had a lot of fun. The point is, we had a lot of fun as a family making up. There were like a dozen of great lines he could use, and I wish I had written them down because in preparing for this podcast episode, Sherry, those are the only three that I could remember. But there were a bunch more, and we had a lot of fun making them up. All the kids did. Everyone threw ideas in. And I even told the story to my sister a couple of days into being with her about that fun that we had in the airport. And she said, oh, that little turd, he told me he was going to CU Boulder to study engineering. (laughs) And I said, yeah. And was that the end of the conversation? She said, well, yes, it was. I said, oh, well, he got exactly what he wanted. So it was a lot of fun uh, had by all. And, you know, it's just as simple as that is. And I know some people are probably listening to this one and their life is in utter chaos and turmoil. They've got a loved one that's still drinking or maybe they are drinking themselves and trying to quit. And they're like, oh my God, the, the full extent of the problems that you face in your life right now are that you have to find more time to make up silly little gag jokes with your kids. I get that. I get that if you're in the midst of the horrible pain of active alcoholism, this might seem minor. But when you're trying to heal from active from active alcoholism and you're in the recovery zone and you're trying to repair things, it's not enough to be reliable and predictable and even safe and approachable. It's not. You have to have fun with the people in your life too. Because if you don't, the relationships don't heal. You might not be making it worse anymore, but you're not making it any better until you can add the lighthearted side and engage and really engage with the people that you love and enjoy their company and allow them to enjoy your company as well. You know, Sherry, some people, you know, you're just in situations, often it's when I'm with people that are young, younger than me, considerably younger, you, you hear people complain, oh, I had to work 12 hours yesterday or you know, I, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to get off at four. I had to stay till six. I can't believe this boss I have. I can't believe this place I work. And whenever I hear that, I don't say anything out loud, but I think to myself when someone complains about a 12 hour work day, you know, your, your nephew has an awesome job that I, we're very proud of him for. He's a supervisor. He does great work. He's in the medical industry and, uh, he, really likes what he does. He's well thought of, but he works three twelves. That's his job. And so he has four days off in a row. He's got a two-year-old son that he gets to spend a ton of time with. And when, you know, he, he talks about his three twelves. Yeah, go ahead. I would just say he is the primary caregiver on those four days that he is off. Absolutely. Work. So just to give a little shout out to the primary caregiver, it's not necessarily a day off, but yes. I yeah. Well, about. okay. You're right. You're right. I said that right. four I, days I just, off from the place that pays him, yes. but still hard working at home. Yes. But when he talks about those three twelves, 
and how that's grueling. Those three twelves are grueling. All I can think is uh, every day is a twelve for me. And for a long time, I thought of my five twelves plus some number of hours on Saturdays. Usually, I thought of that as a badge of honor. I used to have a boss that talked about work hard, play hard, and so and you know that's not a unique saying. Lots of people talk about that, but I, I have for as long as I can remember worked a. 12 plus hours a day on the weekdays and it's just the norm and so when I hear somebody complaining about it I think ah weak sauce over there you know loser come on (laughs) pick it up join the join the productive class of people like let's get some stuff done and I'm increasingly realizing that working 12s working 512s that makes you reliable it makes you predictable it makes you productive to an extent, although the last few hours are pretty much a waste of time. Uh, and it even makes you safe and approachable, but it doesn't make you any fun. And if your goal, it, what, one of the things, I, I just wrote a blog very recently about how there are some really, really successful people that alcoholism is an indicator of the success. It's not a result like the success is not a result of the alcoholism don't get me wrong but alcoholism is an indicator of the success because their mind is constantly going and they're pushing and pushing and pushing and working and working and working and exploring new ideas and trying to accomplish their goals and when they do that to to us to an extent to an overdone extent you need medication to come down from that you need medication to slow your mind down and to relax because relaxing doesn't come naturally anymore. And that's something that I most definitely suffer from. And so when I had alcohol in my life, one of, you know, I I can probably pinpoint two or three or three or four really hardcore reasons why I believe I became an alcoholic. And the addictive nature of alcohol is only a small part of that. There are underlying causes for all of us. And to a very large degree... One of the underlying causes for me was just pushing and pushing and pushing and stress and work stress and and trying to figure stuff out and trying to accomplish goals and needing a way to release from that because I couldn't do it naturally. And alcohol could do it for me. If you have what we like to call chaotic mind syndrome, if you have that where your mind is constantly going, nothing will stop it like alcohol will and give you almost like permission to chill and relax because because you're drinking and sadly alcohol also makes the chaotic mind syndrome come raging back on the flip side you know the next day or whatever when you sober up so it's bad for chaotic mind syndrome it's bad for anxiety in general alcohol is but it's also the only thing that temporarily one of the only things that temporarily relieves it when we push 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 and when 12-hour days are the norm instead of the the occasional thing that you've got to do. Um, you know, we, Sherry, you and I had a bakery for a lot of years, 15 years in fact. And those were long, grueling hours. Those were long, grueling hours at the bakery, owning your own business and dealing with customers and production and employees and just all of it. Now I work from home, and other than the fact that there's no commute, it doesn't really change much. Uh, There's still 
lot, you know, no end to the amount of work that can be done. If I if I want to work 24 hours a day, I can. There's always ideas to pursue and things that we've thought of but we haven't had time to explore. And then there's all kinds of mundane tasks, right, that everyone has in their work. So just because I'm working from home, it doesn't change much. And I'm afraid coming out of the pandemic that there's probably a lot of people that'll be listening to this and thinking, you know, hey, I cut that commute out. I don't stand around the water cooler at work talking anymore. Now that my company has let me go remote all the time, uh, I'm going to be a much better person. I'm going to have all kinds of, of more free time. And if that's you and that is the way it works out, then bless you for that. And I'm excited for you. But for many of us, working from home just means that work is always there. You can never separate from it. It's always just pull out your phone or flip open your laptop and you're back at it. And it really does give me, when something happens, like when my son yelled at me a couple weeks ago, and I take a moment to pause and ponder what he's really upset about, it really does give you those cats in the cradle moment and allow me to consider how much of the time that I've got with my kids, which is limited, I'm wasting. And for what? You know, for what? So that I can accomplish some stupid goal, so that I can, you know, reach something that is is was arbitrary to begin with. I mean, it's not for some magical amount of money, not for me anyway. So it, it's really, you know, the compromise, what I'm giving up compared to what I'm trying to gain, they don't match up. It's not worth it. What, what's it like for you, Sherry? What, what, how does it impact you that I work a lot? You know, I, I mean, I'm better on the weekends, I guess, now than I used to be, but like, is it frustrating? Um, do you, do you see me missing out? Do, do you think I'm just an irritable Bugger, I mean, reliable, predictable, safe and approachable, but no fun. What does that mean to you? Um, I think that it... Well, you had worked from home when you had a, a corporate job a little bit. Yeah. But I... Like I, 20 yeah. years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so that... And then oftentimes when we owned the bakery, you wanted to do the paperwork here at home. And that sort of stuff. So it's not really been that much of a change that you do work from home. But the amount of hours and the amount that I feel like you are in touch with all of your many little, many pieces of our nonprofit. And always checking your email. And looking through, you know, making sure that you're up on things. It just makes it seem like it's never ending, and I don't feel like, for me, I don't look at that like that's a good example. You are very good. You don't have it at the dinner table. I'm not saying that you have your phone sitting there at the dinner table and you're checking stuff, because that's, but I just think it's Well, but that's good. a good point. We made that rule so that the kids wouldn't have their phones at the dinner table, but probably, you know. It better because, yeah. Because I don't. Because yeah. Because I probably would if we didn't have that rule. Right. I'm glad you brought that up. Right. And, you know, 
very rare occasion you'll take a call on your phone because it's something that you have been waiting for, but usually you'll let it, you know, go to voicemail. So, but I don't think that that is like having that end day is, is necessarily a good example of breaking off. So that kind of frustrates me. Um, it also kind of makes me feel like if I'm not doing something and being productive or working or chores or something while you're working, then I feel like I'm slacking and lacking. And then I get the mom guilt that I'm being neglectful and missing out on things. And because spending you are time working with the kids and stuff I am, while I am. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how we play off each other because I, the one thing I have for some time now tried to do is not to work on Sundays at all. And, but you'll still do work around the house on Sundays and then that'll make me feel guilty. So that's, that's really funny. Not funny. It's kind of tragic that if I'm working and you're not, that makes you feel guilty and makes you feel like you should work. And then you neglect the kids and have that mom guilt. Mm -hmm. If you're working and I'm not, that makes me feel guilty. makes me grumpy. Um, gosh, we really need to learn to be individuals, I guess. I know. I know. And self-sufficient Well, apparently I am being an individual because you've asked for many years, I think. Then, <laughs> because I do have a job that entails us... Um, being uh, me at least being committed to going to work on Sunday morning at the church that we've attended for many years. I'm uh, the children's pastor, so I do have commitments there. But then oftentimes I'll just kind of be in the work mode because it's kind of I feel like that's my day. But ironically, the two pastors, the associate pastor and the head pastor, they basically go to lunch and they are checked out. That is their afternoon off. They work Sunday mornings. That's it. They're done. Like, they don't answer unless it's an emergency. I mean, and we're friends, so they would answer. But they don't, like, check their emails. They don't check text messages or respond, I should say, unless it's an emergency with someone in our congregation. Um, so even I am like, you know, and you said, come on, have Sunday breaks, have Sunday break. And Okay, so one of the things that I think I've been looking at this wrong all along is looking at it as a badge of honor like oh like I said oh you're complaining about your that you had to work 12 hours yesterday I do that every day ha huh, look at me aren't I mm -hmm. superior do you feel that way when you when you work extra like when you're working on Sunday afternoon I don't I don't envision that you do no I don't feel like I look at it well I'll just be honest my Sunday afternoon chore is either going to the grocery store, and sometimes I go alone, or I just have our youngest because he still likes to go, or the middle boy fights to have some time alone. And I rather enjoy those sort of things. It's usually not big shopping. It's usually just little tidbits and stuff. So, Like a bucket? Yeah, like a plastic mop bucket. You got it. So I do kind of enjoy that. I know it's kind of lame. And then my other chore is... Folding laundry while watching television, and usually the some of the kids will come in and do their share, and we'll watch something ridiculous, you know, like Finding Bigfoot. Okay, so or, we shouldn't really. So it's call so it work. So, so to much? me, it's a chore, but it's not like work. Yeah, it's a house chore, but it's not a big endeavor chore. It just lines up with my schedule of of chores around the house. Um, but I feel like. I don't look at it like it's a badge of honor. I feel like it's maintaining the house because it's a household chore. And I feel like, 
you know, maybe I'm setting a good example. Like, you know, you have to keep up on your laundry. You have to fold those clothes and put them in, put them away. But maybe it's just looks pathetic and sad to our kids. And that's the message that I'm sending. Well, I do. I look at, or I have, I'm trying to shift this, but I have looked for many years, for decades at working harder than the next guy as a badge of honor kind of a thing. And even now that as we record this podcast episode about this, I think this is a serious topic. I'm not making light of it and it's something I really need to address. And I think there's probably a lot of people that transfer, you know, maybe the, the working these hours is part of what pushed them over the edge from being a regular drinker or a heavy drinker into an alcoholic drinker, a a really problematic drinker like it did for me. Mm -hmm. And okay. So they've, Maybe they've found sobriety, maybe they're considering sobriety, but the, you know, work ethic, even the word work ethic makes it sound like an admirable thing. Ooh, he's got good work ethic. No, he just works too much and ignores his family. That's not good work ethic. Even talking about this, I feel like, even though it's an important topic, I feel like this is a, um, what, you know, a term somebody used not too long ago, a humble brag, which I think that's maybe a common common term these days anyway a humble brag in other words i'm i'm pretending like this is a problem so that i can tell you how much i work so that you'll admire me for it so but i don't feel that way anymore i don't feel like this is a good thing i feel like this is a problem i feel like it's a problem with less obvious calamity than alcoholism but i don't necessarily think it has less damaging effects on myself and my family than alcoholism so i think it's serious do you think that a lot of people throw themselves into work because they don't have, you know, they're not drinking or they're, you know, they're trying sobriety. And so they're just trying to fill their time and sometimes just kind of keeping their head down and keep working. Like maybe that's something that happened is you, you were used to, you know, work and then you would come home and maybe do paperwork and you would have a beer or two if it was a Friday Um, and then you kind of just shut it down and then you went into drinking. Whereas now you don't have that evening ritual of drinking on the weekends or a Friday because Fridays typically you got most of your stuff done during the day because I was in the bakery as Mm -hmm. our last career. But yeah, that was a, that was a computer day. Yep. Yeah. So do you feel like it was just a time it creeped in as a time filler or do you think that the job maybe with remote and virtual and all of this is just going to allow it to be harder to separate and people are just filling their their time to be sober with work. I think it's three things. I think it's the things you you described. I think it's, okay, it's five o'clock or whatever time I used to quit drinking and, or pardon me, used to quit working and start drinking and gosh, I'm not allowed to drink anymore and there's still work I can get done, so I'll just keep going. So I think some of it is because... You know, we hear in the Shout Sobriety Program and from people who just email us, we hear from people all the time who talk about how the boredom is a huge problem in early sobriety. I just don't know what to do with all the drinking time that I got back now that I'm not drinking. So, yes, I think for a lot of people, myself included, I just kept going because there was nothing stopping me. So I just kept working. I think the whole working from home thing that's been COVID driven, that's new for a lot of people and they figured out that they can drink these hard... I am just shocked at how popular these hard seltzers are, especially 
<laughs> you and I don't get out much, but we went on a week's vacation with my family and we went out to eat just once, I guess. But even at the at my parents' house, I mean, all the hard seltzers that family were drinking is just crazy. And I know that their popularity came to be largely because people figured out they can drink them all day and maintain a buzz without hopefully getting over the top and they're low calorie. So I think this whole day drinking thing that's happened Mm -hmm. because of COVID is definitely a factor, uh, a negative factor, Um, allows people to blur the lines between what is drinking time and what is working time because they figured out they can do them both at the same time. And then, you know, I think there's also the factor that, you know, when, when we've got, and so many people do have stressful jobs where they kind of determine their own hours, you know, like a salaried job where you're expected to be productive and there isn't a clock to punch that the stress is so high that the alcohol gets used as the pain reliever, the stress reliever. And in that medicinal way, that very bad medicinal way, and that that creates alcoholism. I Listen, in our shot sobriety group, almost everybody in there is a hugely high performer in all kinds of different fields, all across the spectrum. Um, they've got these, you know, important prestigious jobs and I just know that those jobs carry massive amounts of stress along with them and so I think people that are attracted to our story that read our stuff that read our book Sober Evolution that listen to this podcast and are attracted to our story because it's similar to theirs those are people that are hard chargers and work long hours and used alcohol medicinally so I think in some cases um, it's a time filler because they're not drinking anymore but in many cases, or they figured out they can drink while they work, but in many cases, alcoholism was a stress reliever, um, which is really hard. I mean, I can speak from personal experience now that I don't drink and I still, you know, work too much and have stress from that and there's nothing to relieve the stress. I, I mean, I have to constantly remind myself that alcohol created all this chaos, which it did. And created depression and anxiety, which it did. And so that I'm much better off being free from that and away from the alcohol. But it did serve a purpose. It served a purpose that came with all kinds of collateral damage that I won't know part of. But boy, would it be nice to have something that gave that same kind of stress relief and could shut off that chaotic mind. And I think the answer is, I just need to not work as much. and And be engaged with the family. And not... Just be around the family working, but actually be engaged with the family. And if if the kids want to watch a, you know, I don't know, a, a movie, movie that <laughs> is not at all up my alley, yeah. watch it anyway and just be with uh, them. Just finding their... Just, or if they f- want to go to the skate park, even though I, skate park, even though I don't skate, just go with them and just just be there. Do you, did you happen to notice, like, did you feel work creeping in? and Or was it something that just, like, you know, working nonstop in your waking hours or always being, having your finger on the pulse in your waking hours? When I was still drinking? When, no, when in sobriety and lately until you've been. I know you've talked about it for a few, you know, several months now. Well. About stop working so much but did you feel it creeping in and and spreading out no i i didn't but i think that's because it crept in while i was still drinking 
And when we owned the bakery and I was drinking, there were just times where we couldn't find employees and we couldn't hire people. Mm -hmm. And so we just did it all. And there were times where the employees we found were crappy. I mean, employing young 20-somethings that haven't figured out what they want to do with their life yet, which is basically what we had, that's that's rough, man, because they will leave with a moment's notice Mm -hmm. to, you know, go do whatever the current day equivalent of is of following the dead for the summer which would be more our generation i think but it's like fish or string cheese incident okay but, yeah but yes we definitely i mean yes the the hours just crept up slowly in a semi-unnoticeable way just like the alcohol consumption crept up slowly in a semi-unnoticeable way until it was just the norm yeah, I mean, I can kind of, like, pinpoint when I feel like it happened in our family. Oh, I'd love to hear this. So it was after you were sober, we still owned the bakery, you started writing blog, the blog, and we're kind of, and you were always a soccer coach. I mean, whether it was paid or unpaid, and at this point you had a paid gig at a high school. So you did those things. Lots of writing, soccer both girls and boys, so fall and spring, and at the bakery. And that was like a never-ending day for you. Right. Like, you would get up at, like, 4.30, 4.15, something like that, 4 o'clock. I don't remember what time it's been so long since we went to the bakery. And then there... 4.21. 4.21. Oh, that's right, because you had one snooze cycle. One snooze to 4.30. you're just not anal retentive at all. <laughs> or OCD. Whatever that is. Um... And sometimes it would be 10, but by the time you would eat and get all your stuff done. So I felt like it was that moment. And then when we got rid of the bakery, then there was some relief. But then you just filled up that time with like developing our nonprofit. Yeah, no question. So I just see that as like the pivotal point. And that was what was really hard was because it was such a transitional part of our family Age-wise for the kids? Age-wise for the kids. They all only knew us owning our own business in the bakery, so it was an emotional thing when we decided to close it. Well, or were, you know, making those hard decisions. And you were in the first year or two of sobriety. And I was not getting help for me because I didn't realize I needed help. And I think... That it was, and I think, to me, I'm wondering if maybe you weren't using hours to fill up your time because you didn't know how to kind of connect soberly and you were still struggling and figuring it all out. Well, here's something that's very real. And for anyone who's struggling in this way, I think they'll probably relate. When we went from bakery and trying to build a nonprofit to the bakery finally being over with and it was just the nonprofit I f- I would have like little mini panic attacks that I wasn't doing enough I mean it was a very financially unstable situation so I would think to myself I just got to work more I got to find you know more to do more avenues to take this thing down and if I wasn't, so back, that, that that was a segment of time where if I wasn't working a 12-hour day, I would beat myself up as a loser. You got this family to provide for, man. 
and it's not figured out yet. The the money part of it isn't figured out yet. So get your ass in gear. You and I have a really good friend who got laid off uh, several years ago. And he was a big time finance guy and he got laid off. He was out of work for a whole year before he found another really good finance job and everything's going great for them. But I remember during that time, I would meet him for lunch every few months and just check in and see how he was doing. And he would, you know, talk about all the the jobs he was applying for and things he was looking at. But I remember it, it reminded me of that line from Christmas Vacation, you know, where they talk, where <laughs> Cousin Eddie has been unemployed for seven years because he's holding out for a management position. Our friend who was out of work for a year, he really was, he was waiting until he found the perfect job that would be the last job he would ever have. And he would ride off into the sunset with that with that company and eventually retire from that company. And he, so he worked hard to find something that was a really, really, really good fit for him. That was important to him. Mm-hmm. And I remember like having panic attacks for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. But you're not working right now. Mm-hmm. There's outgoing and there's no incoming. How like how can you be comfortable in that situation? And because I was not at all comfortable in that situation, so it was just if you work more, maybe it'll work out faster. And you you know these ideas that you have can come to fruition and, and it'll work. And I didn't have any any ideas how to do that other than put in more hours. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so something really that was meant to be temporary, short term, became the norm. And then, you know, just kind of here we are. This is the only thing I know. Well, and I think during that time when you were learning to be sober and we were trying to, you know, our kids were approaching um, their teenagers, the older ones, and we wanted to make sure we were giving them all the information and not hiding things from them. I think maybe we were oversharing and over-communicating, but we weren't getting to know them. Yeah. And so now... We were just this, lecturing. We are like the professors yeah. lecturing down Yeah, down. this is what I can have. No and question. This is, so I feel like we kind of missed an opportunity to get to know them. Or, And I'm saying we, and I know that you're the one that feels like this burden is all on you and... Um, I mean, I'm sure there are lots of times where I have chosen to work rather than, you know, or do chores rather than go and play a game of Monopoly with them because I'd rather just stab myself in the eye with a pencil than do that on winter break. Play Monopoly? Play Monopoly. There's a lot of arguing of them. when we play Monopoly. There's a lot of arguing and whatever yeah. is going on. Lots of strong personalities in our kids. But I know that I could have done that myself or go join them on a movie that they were watching but I didn't always. Yeah. So I know I am at fault with that, and I think most of us feel like that. Yeah. But I think we just kind of felt like, oh, now we're setting a good example, and maybe we weren't always setting a good example. Another component of this that I think a lot of the alcoholics that will listen to this can relate to, and maybe if you're the loved one of an alcoholic, you can you can see this in the story of the person that you love. I've, I've become increasingly convinced that the opposite of addiction is not connection, as it has been said for the last, I think, six years. Um, that, that's been kind of increasingly adopted in the addiction recovery community, that the opposite of addiction is connection. Um, 
I I have been increasingly beginning to believe that the opposite of addiction is self-esteem, feeling good about ourselves. When when we work with people and when we get to know the stories of people, it seems to me that when things are going well for them and they are in a good place, they're proud of themselves, they're better equipped to handle the temptations to drink that come along in early sobriety. And so in early sobriety for me, you know, I was filled with shame about recognizing the fact that I was an alcoholic, recognizing the damage I had done to you and my family. And, you know, recognizing it was shameful in the beginning to, to admit to the fact that while most people can drink, I can't drink anymore. So the thing that I loved most in life, as sad and pathetic as that is, was something I couldn't do anymore. And that carried a ton of shame from a variety of angles. And so working and working hard is an ego trip in a way. It's, oh, look what I can do. And it was in many ways done to combat the shame so that I could feel proud of at least something. If, I'm, if I've had terrible experiences as a husband and bad experiences as a father due to my alcoholism, at least I can be proud of how hard I work and, and pr- to provide for my family. And so it's, it's, I think, for many, many people, there's a natural progression. And it, they might happen concurrently, alcoholism and overworking, as they did for me. But for others, it might be a case of, I found sobriety, and that's when I really turned up the, the knob and started working crazy, crazy hours. Because I had to, so that I had something that I could feel good about myself. The trust in a marriage doesn't come roaring back in sobriety. So it's not like you feel good about yourself there. You've still got all this damage to heal with your kids. I mean, there's so much work to do in sobriety. So none of that personal life stuff necessarily feels good in early sobriety. You might be proud of yourself for a little while that you've tackled the beast and that you're you're working on your sobriety because that's something that's necessary. But it's not a a long-term source of self-esteem, just sobriety alone. So, hey, if I work 60 to 70 hours a week, I can be proud of that. That gives me something to be proud of. And that trans it's just a transference of addictions, really. Transferring from addiction to alcohol to addiction to working uh, craziness. And as I said before, for those of us for whom alcohol is the only thing that could, or one of the only things that could really soothe the chaotic mind, the thinking, 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 can't ever stop thinking. Well, if you don't have that alcohol to slow it, you just keep working. You keep pushing, you keep thinking, you keep creating, you keep coming up with ideas and, and trying stuff out. And so as damaging as alcohol is, and I'm in no means endorsing alcohol for anything at all, uh, when it's not there to slow things down, sometimes you just keep going. You know, we were just with my mom for a week, and my mom never stops. My, You know, growing up, I had a very traditional family. My dad was the one that went to work and worked, and he worked hard. I mean, he, if I, if memory serves, he worked, tens pretty much every every five days a week tens and he brought a little home work home on the weekends and he retired early and I remember once he had calculated the hours he worked versus someone who worked eight hours a day 
And he said, it's like I'm 65, because at age 57, I think it was, I've already worked a 65-year-old's worth of hours if I worked eight hours a day, because I worked 10 hours a day. Something to that extent. So he was a hard worker. But my mom, she's crazy, man. She's in her mid-70s, and she just never stops. She never stops. She's... When when the whole family is together, that is a job for her. Uh, having meals prepared and making sure the coffee is ready in the morning and going to the grocery store three times a day and, <laughs> and finding her glasses wherever she left them. I mean, she's just constantly moving. And I think this trip was, because I'm spending so much time pondering this this overworking, this workaholism that I think I have. It was the first time I really noticed that my mother still does it to this day in her mid-70s. She is never stopping, constantly going. And everyone in the family will make comments about it. I mean, it's it's obnoxiously obvious. But, you know, hey, sit down, Mom. Like, geez, you, you go to the grocery store again. Gosh, you know, we can live with the 700,000 pounds of food that we've got already. We don't need whatever new food you wanted to go get. Your sister and I have been saying, you have many drivers. They all have GPS. You just tell them which grocery store. Yeah. And they will go and get the list. All those teenage kids are yeah, driver all age drivers now. now. Like, you know. Yeah, but she just, she never stops. And, you know, we make jokes about it. And I think many of us, myself included, have looked at that with admiration for a long time. Like, gosh, yeah. what a what a hard worker she is well into her 70s but now i'm wondering is it admirable like is her life in balance um and i wonder because she just took very little time in this week that we just spent actually with just us. chilling and being present right and we have talked to her about that for years and years and years you've got lots of kids grandkids that would love to help water your plants that are all over the many patios and decks that you have at your house and those sort of things, or helping on put the groceries away and meal preparation. I know your father cooks a lot of that stuff, but it's just that constant, constant need to keep busy, I guess, and take care of everybody. I don't, I don't know, but I don't feel like it's a connection. Yesterday was our last day with the family all together, and in the afternoon yesterday, our youngest, Andrew, wanted to play pool. My parents have a pool table. And he asked my mother and he asked me uh, to play pool. And we both said, sure, sounds great. And then, you know, I went to use the bathroom and my mother went to do something. We're going to meet downstairs in the basement to play pool. And we went down there and she was not there. And we waited a couple minutes and she was not there. And then he looked out the, the back door down to down toward the lake and she was down there cleaning up or bringing something down there and it was very interesting because this is so much on my mind this overworking and not being engaged with the kids he he kind of turned back to me and dejectedly said oh yaya is doing something down at the lake and yaya is greek for grandmother and uh i heard it in his voice and i'd never heard it before because I just don't think I paid attention because I was Yaya. I was just like her. But there was that dejected feeling like, oh, she's, we were going to play pool, but she's found something else to go do to, and, you know, she's at an age where she, she makes jokes all the time about her mind going, 
but she's got the same chaotic mind syndrome that I have, and she can't light on any one thing. As soon as she she does, she's off thinking about something else and working on something else. So I know there was nothing malicious about it right. on her part at all. Which is forgetfulness. She just or... wandered off. And so Andrew and I played pool, and we had a great time. He beat me two games in a row. Scratched on the eight ball both times. Pretty frustrating. Uh, but he wasn't frustrated. He was happy to have won, and he was happy for the time. Well, and part of the... I will just let you in on a little secret. Part of the reason he wanted to play pool with her so bad is because she beat him last year. And he'd been practicing with the teenagers oh, all week long and by himself, that. practicing, 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 so he could be better to beat her. And it wasn't because he wanted to beat her. Well, yes, it he was. Just, well, I was going to say, also, he wanted to play with her because he wanted to show her how much better he had gotten. Mm-hmm. And so it was a letdown. And I think that we hear that in our kids' voices sometimes. Well, I don't hear it enough. And... I'm starting to listen for it because I know it's there. I know it's there and I need to be more attentive. And so again, I think it would be really easy to listen to this and think, oh my gosh, I don't know if my husband is going to come home drunk or sober tonight. I don't know if my marriage is going to survive another week. And these people are talking about vacation at a lake and uh, being slightly neglected at the pool table. And that might sound ridiculous. It might sound like, like, you know, problems that aren't really problems. But I'm here to tell you as, as we proceed through this discovery process of healing the family and healing ourselves as individuals in sobriety, these are the issues that become real. Yeah. I mean, because the, you've done the the heavy lifting, you've gotten sober, but God damn it, it's still not okay. There's still something wrong, and this is when you got to dig in and figure out what yeah, it is. And if you have kids, you hope to break that cycle and give them that love and confidence and attachment, and because they were hurting while you were drinking and suffering through the the drinking, so and the pain and agony of the sober parent that had to be there to pick up the pieces and. It's just not a healthy environment all the way around. Absolutely. On the way home today on the airplane, United Airlines, I'm assuming that they all do this now. I mean, it's been so long since we have flown. For I know you flew to get our daughter home from college a month or so ago, but for me it had been almost two years since I had flown due to COVID. They have now, we're now to the point where uh, the airline just gives you this full entertainment package, all the TV and movies and music I think that you could ever want on your own phone. You just hook into their service as soon as you get on the plane and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was super cool. And this morning when we were leaving South Carolina, Andrew, uh, his you know, 14-year-old tablet that he had on the plane wasn't working it it just wasn't connecting it was too old and slow or whatever and he wanted to watch a movie so I gave him my phone and he was shocked first of all he didn't want to take it (laughs) and then and then he was like no no you'll you need it you need your phone you need your phone and it was it was kind of heartbreaking because you know is that what they think they see me they see that thing attached to me I mean, I've got this little keyboard I use for it, so it is my computer um, that 
he, he was afraid that I was going to be frustrated or angry or disappointed or whatever if he took my phone to watch a movie because I wouldn't have anything to work on on the plane. Mm-hmm. And that it was it was a moment. It really was. It it made me feel bad than good, right? It made me feel bad that that's what he thinks of me. But then when I convinced him, no, you can really use my phone, plug your little headphones in and watch your movie for two hours. And he was like, are you serious? It really, it made me feel like that's, you know, that's not, it's not exactly being bonded to your kid when you just give him your phone so he can zone out. I get that. But it was a... You shared something, though, with shared him that's very, very... You are... They you know are, not to touch my phone. You are not the share your phone. No. My cell phone is our landline. It is out there for the family to use. Everybody yeah, I had, to stop, I had to stop sexting you because uh, no. all the kids get under your, your text messages all the time, so... Yeah, whatever. But... Yeah, so that he probably felt very honored to have your phone. Like when you hand me your phone to take a picture, I'm like, "What? I don't want to touch this phone." Even I am like, "Why? I'm not using your phone." Yeah. So. So it's pretty cool. So we need more of that. We need more making up fake uh, destinations for Nick after he gets done with college. High school. High school. Ugh. Yes, high school. We need more uh, playing pool with Andrew. We need more watching the Italian soccer team and screaming and crying and kissing and faking injuries and all of that. We just need more engagement. So mm-hmm. I'm serious about it. Let's see how long I can stay dedicated to it because that's really important to me. Yeah, I think uh, our middle son has a lot of things like that he's recorded for Shark Week, things that we missed while we were on vacation. So you down for watching some Shark Week Watching stuff? some Shark Week with, with <laughs> Joey. Absolutely. He loves that stuff. So, And I learned. So That's good. So next time you're folding laundry on a Sunday afternoon, I'm not going to feel guilty about not working. I'm going to... Please don't. I'm going to just chill and do nothing and do nothing with one of my kids. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see where this goes. Hopefully, we can make progress on this like we have with the other aspects of recovery and not just recovering individually, but recovering our marriage. Thanks, Sherry. Love you. you. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.